Hello, I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, creator of the Incandescent Radio Network, here with my friend and colleague, Tony Farmer, host of the Black Lives Matter radio show. We are thrilled you are here with us today. So let's get started. Hello, our Facebook Live audience. I'm going to take this live so that it is publicly seen, which is like one more step than I usually take. So hopefully you are all watching us. I am Hope Katz Gibbs, recording live from Las Cruces, New Mexico. The Black Lives Radio Show is on now. Tony Farmer is your host. He's in DC. He is a diversity and inclusion expert, a certified life coach many times over. And we are here tonight with the amazing Wanda Scott, also in DC. And I'm so excited to hear their conversation. These old friends have a lot to share and we're excited to hear what they have to tell us. So. Take it away, Tony. Wanda, I'm going to try to make this interview as professional as possible. I feel like I'm talking to my sister. We have such a good time, and, and we, we connected on a mental, spiritual, personal level really quickly uh, when we met. And I so appreciate you uh, as a friend and as a professional and as uh, somebody who is in my inner circle. Uh, so uh, for those who are listening on Facebook Live, uh, just sit back because we're going to have a lot of fun. For those over the age of 40, there used to be a show called In Living Color. And at the time, it was unique because it was one of the first situation comedy or, or live comedy sketch shows that highlighted African-Americans. And on that show, which was produced and created, written by uh, Kenny and Ivy Wayans, uh, you, you all know the Wayans family. Um, there was a group, a family that they highlighted called the Headleys. Mm -hmm. The Headleys were a family that was portrayed from the islands. And the unique thing about the Headleys is they had a number of jobs. Mm -hmm. And so not since my understanding of who the Headleys were or what they represented. Have I met a person that has had more jobs than Wanda Scott? Wanda, tell us about all of the things that is captured in your bio with regard to your career. Tell us all the things that you've done. Wow, Tony, you really—you <laughs> came with it. That introduction yeah. to explore me like that. Wow, that's what we do. Uh, okay. But you know, that's a platform for me when I, I, I speak a lot about redefining yourself. Um, because certain generations and in certain places still, people are taught, you know, figure out what you're going to do and then you just do it. But I am one who embraces the change of life. Um, and I'm one who listens to the spirit and says, now it's time to jump and dive into your next thing. And so I encourage people to always embrace their next, that next greater you. And so I have been a network engineer um, for however many years. We won't go into that. Um, I loved what I did, worked for some awesome companies like Microsoft. And then I decided it was time for the next thing. And then I went to be a college professor. Shout out to Nashville State Community College where I taught network engineering um, around the areas of um, networks, Microsoft software, 
network security, things like that. I also did a short stint in a middle school. I was, after I got my master's in education, I was trying to figure out, do I want to go into uh, the young ones or the old ones? And I learned very quickly from my middle school experience, which I enjoy very much, but I knew that college was the place for me, adult education. So I went into that. Um, and off and on, I think since I graduated from college, I've always had my own business on the side and then sometimes full time. So professionally, I've had my own company. The very first one when I left Microsoft was uh, a, a technology consulting firm, but I consulted stri strictly with higher education colleges um, and educational institutions on helping their teachers learn how to teach through technology, what that looked like at the time, smart boards, how all of the technology could link together the classroom to the office. And then I went into more education-wise things. Now I do instructional design, curriculum, facilitation, um, and, and I'll sprinkle through there with speaking and books and diversity pulled out of being a, a black woman in IT. So that was probably more than what you asked for, but that was a little bit of the journey. It was not, it was perfect. <clears throat> it's important that to your point, that we not feel like we have to be pigeonholed, that if people who have multiple dreams have the willingness to pursue them, that anything's possible. You mentioned a little bit about your, uh, your writing, right? You are five times an author. Tell us a little bit about how you decided to follow that path and what inspired you. Well, I am the product of an English teacher, first of all. Um, my mother, I was actually having a conversation with my brother about this the other day and, and how um, during times like this, I, I find a great balance between reading and not getting caught up in TV. Um, so I've always been a lover of words. And my mother being an English teacher, she brought us up in forensics and speaking. And, and so some kind of way, I just, I, I've been a poet all my life. I, I have poems from when I was a child, my mother saved. And one day she sent me these poems and she said, here, I'm tired of keeping all of your stuff in my house. <laughs> yes. So I just, that my very first book was a compilation of poems that I had written since I was a child. So that was my first book. Um, and after that, I, they've just been by inspiration, by, I guess, th thoughts on my heart that I did research into and wanted to share with other people about life, my journey, my uh, relationship with God, the, the em embracing those things that I had learned and that it had brought value to my life. I wanted to put them in a book that could reach people that I couldn't actually talk to myself. So that's kind of been my passion around writing. So I'm going to throw something on the table that you probably forgot that I knew about you, but I also think it's important in terms of how we see ourselves, right? How, particularly our young black women. And I, I really wanna emphasize on this particular uh, show uh, how diversification in our views and our backgrounds and our education really enhances some of the things that we want to offer uh, our society and our community. Uh, one of the little known facts about Wanda Scott um, that I kept as a nugget is that you were once an athlete. Oh yeah, uh-huh. Yes, so, so tell us about how that experience helps you today. 
Wow. Okay. So it has been pivotal, pivotal for me. Um, I've been running since I was 10. I don't run quite as well and as fast as I did when I was younger. Um, I played <laughs> basketball um, and I learned discipline. It, it, it helped me through a lot of stages in my life where I could channel that energy into my sports. It was a way of, I think, curtailing other things that were going on in my home life with my family and allowed me to uh, channel the energy. But the biggest thing is discipline. And I've actually taught on this, um, how it has tied into my ability to be spiritually disciplined and understand the work that it takes to put into um, my relationship with God, my work in relationship to being an engineer. That's the very challenging field to stay on top of things that you, you set your mind on that training, whatever that is, and you um, continue it until you get to that winning stage, whatever that looks like. So um, sports has been a, a a great value to my life. And I was actually, when I was at the middle school, I was a track coach and an assistant basketball coach. So I tried to kind of give that back and still have a, a piece of that love. But the biggest thing, discipline for me. Two more, two more jobs that I can uh, add to your resume. <laughs> another another uh, little known history fact about Wanda Scott is that you attended an HBCU, a historically black college university. I believe it was Hampton University, am I correct? You are correct and I hope that's not a little known uh, fact. I hope that I make that very clear a, a whole lot. Yes. So, so on that note, and, and I'm, I'm being very deliberate in making sure that I highlight the enormity of having a black woman, a woman of color in the office of vice president. What does that mean to you? Is there a uniqueness given that she went to a HBCU and not just an HBCU, your rival, one of your chief rival <laughs> schools? What, how has that impacted you? And what are your thoughts on that? How have, have you reflected on that? Well, I just want to make note to all of my two of my best friends went to Howard while three of us went to Hampton. So I always have had Howard love and I went to Howard Divinity for a year and have done other things in collaboration with Howard, but it's still not my home by the sea. So we need to be clear <laughs> on that. Hampton is. Um, wow. Um, having a woman of color um, in the White House um, is monumental on the scale of Barack Obama being, you know, the first black man to grace the White House. Um, so it is, it is something that I know my grandmother who didn't live to see it never thought she'd see. Um, it is something that is wonderful to know that some of the children of age to recognize will always have that picture in their life that a black man can be president and uh, a woman of color um, can be vice president. So it is, it changes the face of history for a generation of people. Um, another thing that it does is um, even amongst black people, um, it has been considered that historically black colleges and universities 
was a downgrade or something that didn't rival with a Yale or Princeton. Um, and so there has been this shade that has been thrown. Excuse me. It's okay. That's <laughs> on, all right. On uh, on uh, historically black colleges and just like any other institution, some of them have had their monetary issues. They've had, you know, some struggles, but that's been to a plethora of reasons, but some great minds have come through, have chosen to go to, not because of a last resort, not because they couldn't get in anywhere else. Um, Hampton actually costs just as much or more than state schools and other, um, I, not probably as much as the Ivy Leagues, but it does cost a pretty penny. And it was a choice to go there. I had a full ride um, to a state school, Memphis State, to Florida A&M, another school. I got accepted into Vanderbilt. So my choice was an HBCU. And I think that this gives opportunity to change the narrative around what an HBCU is, how you're educated there, and what you can do coming out of an HBCU. So there's so many different aspects that her being Black, part Black, her going to HBCU brings to the forefront um, the disparity in thinking around race, ethnicity, culture, and the type of education that's required to get to these highest offices. Once upon a time, I had a mentor, a counselor in college, who said, if you spent all of your life in an MSI, minority serving institution, uh, that was predominantly uh, people of color, you should at least spend some time in a PWI, a, pre a predominantly white institution. And so my personal journey was started in, you know, the University of District of Columbia. It went to the University of Maryland Global Campus. And then my master's degree was from George Mason University, which I will tell you, um, in all honesty, wonderful people there. I had a wonderful experience, but not a lot of people look like me in classes. What was your experience making that transition as you decided to continue your education at Johns Hopkins University? Uh, that, that was an interesting transition. Um, I did not set my sights on Hopkins. A, la a young, well, a lady, a friend of mine who uh, we, we were in high school together in Nashville, she's the one, she went to Howard while I was at Hampton. Johns Hopkins used to have a program called LDP, Leadership Development Program, that targeted minorities to funnel them into their MBA program. Mm -hmm. They don't have it anymore, but they had it at that time. And she went to, she was uh, in one of the cohorts and she told me about it and I said, well, that would be, you know, great. I'm busy. I don't have time to go to traditional grad school. I could get started. Hopkins is great. Let me try this. And so I went on this fast track graduate path for a year with the cohort at Hopkins. And that's what got me there. Um, and so my first year experience at Hopkins was still surrounded by minorities. Okay, so gotcha. um, that part didn't actually give me the taste until that I, then I went on to get my master's of education. So I veered off of the NBA track and went, went to regular 
um, Johns, Ho Johns Hopkins courses um, in Baltimore. So that, then I experienced being the only minority. Uh, something I'm very familiar with the leadership development program. Uh, one of my best friends uh, went through that program. Here, here's what I would like to kind of point out and make a distinction. Uh, and maybe you can give a little bit more information being part of the program. Uh, this wasn't a handout. This wasn't, we're going to seek out people who are, you know, underserved. This was professional people, accountants, attorneys, people that Johns Hopkins wanted to have come through their programs, not just to have minorities, but to have high standing minorities, high standing professionals. So that's my indication of the program. Anything you want to add to that? Thank you for bringing that out because I didn't mean to to. Oh no, no, it wasn't you. No, no, it wasn't you. I just for those listeners because when we have these shows, we want to make sure that we're educating, right? So mm -hmm. it wasn't. Some people will think, oh, well, this was another handout, and this was a no. You had to qualify for the program, right? And then you had yes. to do the work, and that there was a high standard, and that. So I just wanted to make sure that this wasn't just and in large part this was Johns Hopkins coming to recruit people. This wasn't people trying to get in Johns Hopkins in the back door. This was Johns Hopkins recognizing some of the high performing professionals in the African-American community and recruiting them. Is, is there anything that I'm missing or that you wanna to add to that? No, that, that is exactly correct. Um, there was a, a strict admissions process and not everyone was able to make it into those cohorts uh, when they had this program and the, um, the cohort, the curriculum was MBA curriculum and actually was compressed. We're a lot more familiar with cohorts in these days than that when we were starting back then, it was a, you know, a, a fresh concept, not new, fresh. And so yeah. it was targeted at working professionals um, who would have been accepted in the Hopkins, Hopkins anyway, but might right. not have chosen it. And, and right. so, yes, it was a, a rigorous program and um, I'm, I'm grateful to have been uh, very successful. I came out of Hopkins with a 4.0. I, I have to brag about that, a 4.0 while working full time. Yes, sir. Yeah, don't even get me started. I, I, was, uh, I was part of the honor society uh, and the honors fraternity when I graduated. Anyway, enough about that. Uh, <laughs> is that about me? So, um, but the reason why that's important is because it's important to know that there are people who are dedicated to meeting a standard, right? And, and ensuring that we don't, we represent our community well. So that's, that's the only reason why that's important. It's not about, you know, being boastful or, or bragging. It's about, hey, you know, people who work hard uh, get opportunities that, uh, that people who don't work hard uh, may not get anyway. So um, let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about we consulting. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> this is a, a new, this iteration of business ownership um, is, a, is a, a, a new labor of love for me. Uh, when I left Nashville last time and came back to the DC area, um, I was looking to figure out how to birth my business here. 
Um, my business in Nashville was different because it spun off of people knowing me as a college professor. Um, so the, the instructional design and the training kind of came out of them knowing my educational repertoire. But when I moved back here to the DC area, people still kind of knew me as a network engineer. Um, very few knew me as um, a technology consultant once I had left corporate America. Um, so it was kind of breaking new ground and trying to figure out um, where my passions aligned now with where I wanted to go. Because um, I think we all reach an age where um, we don't want to work hard outside of what we love, what we're passionate about. And so for me, the birthing of We LLC Consulting Solutions here in the DMV was more about, okay, Lord, what am I passionate about? How do I wanna build where I can be at the most value, be the most productive, pull in the diverse experiences that I've had into a space and a place where um, there's a need I can add value and that I'm passionate about. So it's been an, an interesting journey. I, I think I've been put on the path of some wonderful people like you um, that have allowed me to realize and add upon my history with diversity uh, coming out of the tech industry and those experiences and pulling in my training and facilitation skills into different areas and avenues and adding on to my love of, of the written word and the English and the crafting and designing of curriculum through instructional design. And then adding a slash of tech with that through my e-learning um, uh, abilities and just being able to pour into uh, the consultants who work with my business and um, kind of give them the experience to kind of pull from my, my mind what's been happening. So I'm looking forward to the expansion and growth. You are probably <clears throat> uh, the only person I know that pulls together so many different aspects of the professional world, you know, those things that are uniquely spiritual, particularly in, in African-American community, uh, this love to learn and to teach, this love of technology, but but most important, I think the, the most endearing thing about you, Wanda, is that you are a person that I've always known to put their money where their mouth is, right? Or <clears throat> better stated, if there is something to be said about something going on in society, you've never been af afraid to speak your mind. So I wanna step back and really give you a platform on some of the things that happened in 2020 and how you reacted uh, to them. Uh, I seem to remember, just to kind of give you a, a lead off, uh, once the, the aftermath of George Floyd uh, happened, you took action. You took some action. Um, talk to our audience about what you did and why you did it. What did I do? Well, specifically, you started having conversations. Oh, right? oh a lot, a yeah. lot like Hope and I yeah. are seeking to do with the Black Lives Matter radio, radio show. You started having it, conversations. Isn't it amazing what it just life just kind of keeps going and you forget? Okay, you got so many jobs, Wanda. That's the, that's the only thing. You got so many jobs. <laughs> 
So I know so many amazing people. So that is like the backdrop. I am blessed with amazing, articulate, insightful people in my life from different arenas and circles. And so part of the college professor in me um, loves critical thinking. And there is a desperate need for critical thinking um, in this day and time. Um, I remember when I first entered into uh, being a full-time college professor, I, these students who were coming from high schools from No Child Left Behind, and they did not have the capacity for, for critical thought. We had to teach that in the college classroom was critical thought. So I'm sorry, I, dig I digress. So I started a series called Critical Conversations um, on my YouTube site. Um, and what I did was bring in provocative topics that most people did not want to speak about that spoke to what was happening in our world. Uh, the systematic racism, the difference um, between terminology that was used around social disparities and economic disparities. And was there still racism or were we just talking about classism? Um, are we, how are we looking at um, this impact uh, on how we live and look at society? So I was able to bring in um, a couple of panels of, of people who were experts in this field and facilitate a very real conversation. There was no talking points. I didn't tell them what to say. They had authentic conversation around their experiences. I had judges, lawyers. Um, I, I had nonprofit owners who work in um, with young people in economic disparity. So I just brought in um, diverse people from all different backgrounds, different city states from LA to DC and gave them a topic and said, come and bring your full self and let's have this conversation. I had a few conversation prompts um, to start the conversation and I just let them go and um, it, it, it turned out to be wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed listening to them and watching their reactions and the way they brought everything together. Um, I, I do still plan to do a couple of more panels, but now I've moved on to a, a different series around critical conversation, exploring the educational impact of COVID. And I'm talking to everyday individuals about um, how their lives have drastically changed having to work from home, their children at home, having to be the teacher, having to be teacher, parent, worker, employee. So that's my critical conversation series right now. But what Tony was alluding to was those critical conversations around hot topics that people didn't wanna talk about, but give them the opportunity to see um, all people. So um, it, I, I had um, black people, white people, you know, come together and have this conversation that wasn't always comfortable and they didn't have the same, always have the exact same viewpoints on how it was affecting our lives um, during this period of time. So Tony was one of my uh, guests and I really appreciated his insight and flow into the conversation. You are a female owned minority small business. You brought up COVID. Tell us how you've been able to survive. Tell us how, give us an idea of how you re-strategize or reposition to ensure that your business survived. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is a, 
This is a loaded question because my experience has not been typical. Um, I moved back to DC because I needed a change. Um, I was in Nashville, my mother passed away and I needed to, to do something different. So I got an offer to be um, a chief learning officer with a small tech firm here. So I moved back to DC and left being a full-time entrepreneur business owner to take on this C CLO position. Um, and I stayed there about 11 months and they laid me off. I think they made a business decision that didn't have great financial foresight, but I got laid off. And, but it was an opportunity for me to, like I said, I had already started reimagining what uh, my business would look like here. And so that is that brought me brought me back here. And so between layoff and COVID, um, it was a building time. It was discouraging, uh, really, because it's hard to break in in this area with a new business. I mean, it it just is. And any business owner knows that. And so I went through a period of economic frustration. But the beautiful thing is, is my faith. My faith is what kept me going. I had several conversations with Tony um, encouraging <laughs> me to um, keep afloat with, with holes in my boat <laughs> was one analogy that Tony uh, brought to me one time when he was coaching and encouraging me. But I call it a miracle. Right before COVID, I landed the perfect primary contract for my organization. So right, I was starting basically the week that this customer was sending all their people home. And I was, my, my job was, um, my, my, my contract position was working from home anyway, but there were some things that needed to happen. And so what happened for me in COVID is I had one of the best years that I've ever had in business. And I, I give all glory to God for that, that positioning me with that major client and then several other small clients, I was actually able um, to thrive uh, spiritually because of God, but practically because of the type of business that I work in. Uh, practically, the, the type of consulting work that I did was not uh, dependent on being in anybody's company. Um, and second of all, my technology, technical background, I was already very familiar with creating and teaching online courses from college. Um, and I had brought that into the corporate world um, through virtual training. So I was able to help other companies who were strictly in-person training transition into the virtual training world. And so I was already prepared um, in COVID to do the work from home. And so um, I am thankful. I'm very prayerful for those who did not have the same story that I had, but I, it was actually kind of the, the flip for me. I had an amazing year during COVID and it's continuing to grow. Um, and so um, that, that's my story. If you had an opportunity <clears throat> to write a letter or a poem or just an inspirational message to a young woman of color who is looking at her future through COVID lens, maybe this is a middle school student, maybe this is a high school student, maybe this is a college freshman, sophomore who's really trying to survive in this COVID existence. 
given your experiences, what advice, what counsel, what coaching would you give uh, a young lady looking at all of the things that she'll need to build a foundation for her future? Well, I have to throw a plug in if you if you if you want some advice from my experience. My my last release was called book was called Resilience: Finding Your Power Within, which focused on some notes from the field best practices for surviving um, in a homogeneous uh, industry like technology. So go ahead and check out my book, Resilience, Finding Your Power Within. It's a great industry book. Oh, we don't but, do shameless plugs. We just plug. I mean, it, it was it was a fit, though. It was it was a fit for what you're saying. But um, I am a firm believer that we are all uniquely born with a proclivity for certain skills, abilities, talents, and gifts. My advice is to find out what it is that you are naturally inclined to do. What are you good at? Um, if Even if it sounds strange, even if you don't think it fits during this season, this is a season and a time where things that don't quite fit will actually fit. So never stop believing in in what you have a talent, a gift, a skill to do, even if someone says you're not gonna make money that way. Find a way to make some money because you need to, but don't give up on what it is that you know that you do well. Keep working at it. Um, read, find ways, find a niche, find where what you do can serve someone who does not have that gift, talent, skill, or ability, and don't let it go. Because there, there will be a time when um, that there will be a space that opens up for you. Keep allowing your authentic self to be present. Because when we stifle who we are, what we love, and what we're passionate about, it takes us to a place where, where we cannot enjoy anything. And so leave a glimmer, leave room for those, um, those places and spaces in addition to what, doing what you have to do to survive. We're, we're all in this world, we have to do that. But, but find, explore, see where what you do can accentuate what somebody else does, partnerships, connectivity. Um, unfortunately, we've been through a generation where everybody thinks they have, they can go it alone or they can do it by themselves. Um, mm -hmm. You know, pray for connections where there is somebody says, oh, I love what you do, but listen to what I do. Oh, we can do. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Find those people. They're out there. When you bring your authentic self into the space, when you continue to build on and hone what it is that you love to do. You, you'll find glimmers, keep looking, keep searching. There'll be someone you can connect to and can help you build here and then maybe jump and it'll change here and change here and add on here, but don't give up. Keep hoping and keep holding on to that part of you that you know is valuable to this world. Tell us about emotional intelligence. Oh. I am so thankful for the pioneers that have gone before me and made the clarity that we are not just talking about it's okay to be emotional. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what emotional right. intelligence is about. And unfortunately, there's, there's still 
um, that initial response when people hear um, emotional intelligence, EQ. Um, I think the most important thing to understand that EQ can um, bring balance and add on to your IQ, what you know. EQ allows you to um, hone and understand who you are um, and how you interact and connect with others as well as who other people are. Other awareness, self-awareness, and that wholeheartedly plays into our interpersonal relationships. You are a better human when you understand that your life is filled with interpersonal relationships. There, you have to interact with the drive-through person. <laughs> and yes. when you're yeah. able to sense that um, what somebody, how they're responding to you is not always about you. It's about maybe what they're going through or how the person who was in the drive-through before you treated them. And you can be more insensitive to that. It's gonna make you a better able to connect to people and understand people. And it gives you less stress. But also looking at how your emotional state impacts your decisions. Mm -hmm. um, how your emotional state um, impacts, um, and this is personal, professional, pivotal times in your life, understanding that emotions are not your enemy, they're not to be passed on, but just being aware that you can bring your life into balance. That's what EQ is about, is bringing your life into balance across um, these, these domains and subscales that fit into who we are. And emotional intelligence is an amazing tool to add on to your, your already um, beautiful mind <laughs> that you have around <laughs> all like that you've learned and know. I like and, it. And bring that balance to you being a whole person in how you deal with others and how you manage, especially traumatic times like, like now, like 2020, yeah. like a pandemic. What better time to understand the stress and the pressure that you're going through, being self-aware, but also being aware of others so that you can um, just be a manager of you and a manager of others. I mean, I, I think I, I'm so excited about my opportunity to, to teach on emotional intelligence, to coach on emotional intelligence so people can understand that you're not crazy, your, your anxiety is real, um, your hesitation is real, your strengths to move forward are real, and we can bring all of that in balance so that you can be um, better for the world at large, right? Absolutely. I am going to tee you up for a plug. It's not shameless. We, we show no shame on the show. <laughs> but for those of you who want to engage with Wanda and colleagues who are teaching on emotional intelligence in a facilitation form. If memory serves, you have an event coming up in early April. You want to talk to us a little bit about that? Oh, wonderful. Um, yes. So leadership. Wow, that's another one of my big areas of, of, of interest. Um, leadership, it's, it's so important that we um, advance and evolve with, with the world, with the times. As leaders, leaders are, are called to, to um, 
be in touch, not just with the business at hand, but with those that they lead. Uh, we've gone from terms from like servant leadership, um, adaptive leaders, inclusive leaders, but all it means is being able to um, lead from the head and the heart. And so we have an upcoming course, um, April 6th through the 8th. You can find it on Eventbrite um, called Leading from the Head and the Heart uh, with a focus on emotional intelligence. And this is an action-packed three days where uh, we look at neural leadership. You know, we've advanced so much in the study of the mind and how our thoughts um, and how we can change our brain. We used to couldn't think that if you had some type of traumatic brain energy, um, brain um, accident that you couldn't rebuild parts of your brain, but we've learned so much in, in neuroscience. Uh, so it brings in neural leadership. Um, it brings in emotional intelligence and it brings in bias. And so we look at these three things, which is a powerful combination that allows leaders to hone into um, learning new skills around being um, a, a neural leader, okay? Understanding how the mind works, um, understanding how those you lead, how they think through things, activating thinking. How can you inspire the people below you to think, not tell them what to do, not tell them what they're doing wrong, but invite them to think, actively think through situations. Um, it kind of ties in with leadership and coaching, your, your employees, um, that, that embracing emotional intelligence and bringing in the major issue of, of bias. I mean, we, we all have biases. We have to quit running from that and understand how that impacts our leadership. It impacts our relationships and how to manage that. In, in a very practical way. And of course, with any course with my, my colleagues partnering with uh, Varitas and, and Tony, he, it's a shameless plug, but he is one of the, the co-facilitators and co-creators of the course. Um, just being able to come into a safe space and look at all of this new information and be able to be, be better facilitators as leaders of critical thought and understanding head knowledge to heart knowledge and how to balance that and, and be an impactful adaptive leader across culture um, and across all the nuances of the 21st century workplace. So Wanda, you being our last guest of 2021 January, uh, thank you so much for the time. We have a tradition and most of our listeners who have uh, been following us on you know, our podcast since we started or since we, you know, we just kind of went live, Facebook, I think a couple of guests ago, uh, they all know what I'm about to say, right? The last question we always reserve for Hope. Hope always has very insightful thoughts and uh, she has a myriad of career and life experiences that I know has enhanced my perspective and in my view on life and really my relationships with, with people, uh, particularly people who don't look like me. And uh, so uh, Hope has the last question. There are always great questions. There are also always questions to educate and 
provide some insight on. I, I'm always kind of on the edge of my seat as to what she's going to ask, but this is my opportunity to pass the baton to Hope. Hope, over to you. Well, thank you, Sarah. You are truly um, generous when you say such things. Um, but Wanda, you know, I'm fascinated by everything that you said. I love the conversation between the two of you. It's so insightful. And I feel like what I want to say is that what you were speaking about were universal truths, mm -hmm. right? Tony and I had this opportunity, this honor to interview the woman who's the CEO of Girls for a Change based in Richmond. And what she's trying to do is, you know, um, give black girls, prepare the black girls for the world and the world for black girls was what she was saying, right? And what I really want to do is um, make it color not matter, right? Which is, I know, very naive. Um, but I think we, to your point about, um, we are all heart, right? So my incandescent women is one of my magazines and being incandescent health and wellness, the business of mind, body, spirit, soul, we're all heart, right? Mm -hmm. Which connects us all. And so when we can try and reach each other through that universal truth, which is what I heard you say over and over again, right? How brilliant you are and how you've just, you've worked so hard to just be yourself, right? And, you know, I think that as a Jewish woman, as a woman, you know, I think we all feel this on some level. You know, the reason that I love doing this show with Tony is that it brings it to a different level, right? His experience, his perspective is such an honor to bring into the incandescent family. It, it, it evolves it to this new level. So my question for you is, what would you like to see the world look like if that was true? Mm, wow. I think I would like for people to be able to embrace what now we call difficult conversations and be curious about each other, not in a judgmental way, but in a, in a way of saying, I love that you're different from me, but I know that when we start talking, I'll find out how much we're actually alike. Um, I, I, I want us to move past all of our learned preconceived notions about who a person is and what they are because of what we see. Um, allow them to be who they are, though. I'm, I'm, I want us to see color, though. I want us to see each other in all the fullness, our color, how colorful we are in our personality, um, in our skin tone, in the, in the uniqueness that we bring. But I want our minds to be changed around it. I want it to be, instead of it being fear invoking and, oh, uh, uh, a turn off, I want it to be something that we say, oh, this is going to be interesting. Tell me about you. Tell me about how life, I know it's got to be so different from mine. So that that's, that's the best answer I could give that if we could just change the narrative in our minds, that's one thing I'm big on. Um, in, in coaching and facilitation, changing the narrative that we put in our brains and just open it up to something beautiful that all of us can bring to each other's lives. That's amazing and perfect, right? It's very Alexander Hamilton, right? The founding fathers, this was what they were saying, right? Be who you are, 
show me more. And, you know, I, I just finished my Martha Beck life coach training, which was miraculous. And her biggest question is tell me more right? Because everyone's so fascinating. And when we can take a, but I think to your point earlier about critical thinking, right, that's the key. Because I study the Kabbalah, and I talk about this in my podcast, right? So it's sort of this staircase, right? When you're at the top, you're Jesus, Moses, Buddha, you're talking to God, right? Mm -hmm. And where are you on that staircase? What do you, you know, and, and how can you grow? Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the amazing work that you two are doing and other people who, you know, I'm so thrilled to be able to do all these podcasts. We're doing almost one a day through Incandescent Radio, which is really, really thrilling to me. And it's taken me a long time to get the company to this place. But it makes so much sense because we get to raise the voice and bring so many gorgeous people with these, you know, so we're not quite like in the stellar, right? We don't, we don't want to be up there where we're on like E or something. We want to just do the work. Yeah. Right. And so when you're doing the work, what does that look like? And you are obviously clearly doing the work as is Tony and, and I am hoping to, right. And bring us all together so that we can show people that there's more similarities than differences. And when we don't stand in what makes you different, you know, I, I'll just this is a sort of an old story, but I think it's relevant. When I went to Israel as a student, I studied. I'm a Jewish woman, and I really wanted to know what it meant to be Jewish. So I studied my sophomore year in college in Tel Aviv, and I was so like it was so remarkable to me that there we're all Jewish, but we're there's still inter- infighting, right? So what kind of Jew are you? And you know, are you a, the diaspora? Are you an Israeli? Or, you know, and there's always ways to find the differences. Mm-hmm. but what does it take to find what makes us all common and similar right and loving so when you go into that heart space that makes all the difference mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so I honor what you're doing and what Tony's doing and I'm just the publisher here so I'm just happy to bring your voices to the forefront oh I, I love hearing about everything that you're doing and just like you said setting the platform for, for this type of communication is beautiful. And I thank you so much for, um, for having me and for who you are and, and what, you're, what you're bringing um, to the world. I mean, this, uh, who cares about E and on TV? This is where people are connecting and making um, intentional efforts to, to see and learn and grow. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you both. So uh, Tony, your last words? Yes, um, Wanda, thank you so much. Um, it's funny, it, it almost sounds strange to say, oh, thank you so much. And we hope to have you back when I know I'll talk to you like later on this week. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I would say uh, that uh, as much as I've encouraged you, you've encouraged me. As much as I've coached you, you've coached me. We have seen each other through some really interesting times and some life-changing times. Uh, and you would think that Wanda and I have known each other for 20 odd years. I think it's only been like two and a half years, three years now. And I'm telling you, we it's been a journey. And I, I am looking forward to all of the challenges that life bring us because I know it's going to make us stronger and it's going to make us more resilient. So those of you looking to hear more from Wanda, to see her and her teaching uh, glory, to see her in her splendor, Remember, she's got a leadership course coming up on April 6th through the 8th called mm-hmm. Leading with the Head and the Heart with some colleagues from Veritas Culture and yours truly. And 
I'm so excited to be doing that work with you and just being under your tutelage as you lead us through that conversation. So thank you. Uh, words, uh, the words thank you don't quite capture uh, my appreciation, my gratitude for you being here, but thank you, thank you, thank you. And we'll have you back again soon. I hope so. Hope. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Hope. Yeah, absolutely. And one quick shout out, Tony's backdrop has changed because he is spending the weekend with his mom who just got out of the hospital. So we're just going to give a little nod to what a good son you are. <laughs> and uh, crazy time. Okay. Yeah. My so, mom used to say, my mother used to say, uh, you were doing a hurry, but I ain't in no rush. <laughs> <laughs> that's all good, right? But it's that, that heart. So we're going to promote what Wanda's doing, and we're so thrilled to be part of your network. And Tony and I just want to wish all of our, we're live on Facebook. Um, hopefully you're watching us here. If not, you're going to watch it on in the future on YouTube, blacklivesmattertv.us, and blacklivesmatterradioshow.com. And we will bring more episodes to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. So I am honored, honored, honored to have you both with me tonight. Thank you very much. And we look forward to talking to all of our viewers again very soon. Be well, stay safe. So that's all for today's episode of the Black Lives Matter radio show on incandescentradio.com. We have an amazing lineup of future guests, just like you heard on today's show. So be sure to tune in for another episode and tell your friends about us so they can listen too. If you or someone you know should be a guest on our show, send me an email, hopecatsgibbs at gmail.com, and we'll be in touch. Again, this is blacklivesmatterradioshow.com on the Incandescent Radio Network. We look forward to talking to you. Until then, stay safe and be well.